Acts chapter 15. It's time to settle Gentile salvation once for all. It sounds like nothing really important for us today, but it is a huge deal for us to understand because it affects Christianity still today. There's a lot of confusion about can somebody know that they're saved without having to be good enough? Do you understand what I mean by that? Uh, I, I wouldn't want to be a teenager growing up uh, today because of the the kind of confusion about what it means to be who you are and the dating and the pressure on relationships. Everybody's trying to compete and be good enough for someone else or trying to, you know, <clears throat> uh, earn different awards and prizes just in life instead of just, boy, do your best and, and uh, know who you are in Christ. So <clears throat> Acts chapter 15, if you get there, I got to get there myself here. The Bible is full of transitions. Let me start with this thought for a second. A transition is a change that God lays out for his people to follow. For example, Adam and Eve went through a transition when they got kicked out of the Garden of Eden, didn't they? They had to learn to fend for themselves. They had to learn that all fruit is not at the bottom of the tree. They got to build ladders. They're going to have to build homes. They're going to have to build fires. And we tried that, didn't we, JC? <laughs> he spent five hours trying to start a fire. And it didn't start. <laughs> <laughs> we would be starving. Uh, so now if we relied on my fishing in your fires, we would be dead. Okay. But the, that was a transition. There's a transition where the world went from one language to all the base languages that we have today at the Tower of Babel. That was a transition. There's a transition where the world went from a religious free-for-all after the flood to the faith of Abraham. That was a big transition. People had to, to understand who this was that Abraham was worshiping and follow Abraham and have the faith of Abraham. There's a transition. Children of Israel, 400 years, been in Egypt, and all of a sudden they're free. And they had to go through a transition because they kept wanting to go back. They weren't used to being free. There's a transition that God has his people going through. There's a transition where God was taking his people from the law to the time of grace. And that's still being struggled with today. And the transition going from all the focus on the Jews to the Gentiles. Because the book of Acts describes this transition of God primarily focusing on his people, the Jewish people, to now the whole world. Jew, Gentile, doesn't matter who you are. You see, to the uh, uh, this, this sounds so simple to you and me because we're looking back on it. But to the Jewish believers of, of Acts in the first century, they were struggling with this. They wonder, don't Gentiles, if they are trying to be saved, don't they need to first become Jews and then get saved? Straight answer is no. But it was hard for them to accept. So the Christians call for a meeting to settle it. Let's start in Acts chapter 15 and verse 1 and 2. <clears throat> and certain men, which came down from Judea, they taught the brethren and said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, when it says come down from Judea, these are high up, muckety-muck, really VIP, powerful influencers who come to Antioch and they start looking down their nose at all these Gentiles in the churches mixing with the Jews. And they says, you can't be a follower of Christ unless you're circumcised, unless you become a good Jew. So what, what I call them influencers because that's what they were. Um, these were men who were twisting the gospel, perverting it. And false teachers have uh, been going along, have been influencing. Not sure what that is. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Probably in the crash there, there is a little button there. <laughs> and somebody pushed it by accident. Okay. False teachers have been influencing Christianity from day one. Teaching that people have to do something to be saved. Like if you're a Roman Catholic, you were taught all your life, you have to keep the seven sacraments and hope for the best in order to get saved. If you're a Mormon, you got to follow the teachings of Joseph Smith and be a good Mormon. If you are a Seventh-day Adventist, you have to keep the Sabbath 
to be saved. If you're Pentecostal, you must have the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit, which means you need to be able to speak in tongues for you to know that you really are saved. I was told that dozens of times. By different, if you just speak in tongues, you can know you're saved. <laughs> but I already knew. <laughs> if you're a Jehovah's Witness, if you were, you must endure to the end. That was the idea. If you're a disciple of Christ, that's a religion out there, you must be baptized or else you're not ever really truly saved. So there's always someone trying to add to your salvation by commanding you to do something more than trust Jesus Christ. And these, these influencers were powerful influencers. They were probably Pharisees, Jewish priests, Jewish rulers who had gotten saved. We're not, we're not doubting their salvation. These men were respected men, probably just as saved, very knowledgeable about the Old Testament and the scriptures as they taught about, as, as they understood the Messiah. <clears throat> um, they were very committed to the value and the importance of the law of Moses. They just simply could not believe that Gentiles were getting saved because Gentiles are not Jews. They're not circumcised. They don't know the law of God, and they're definitely not living by the laws of God. So how could they be included in the kingdom of God? So these false teachers believe no Gentile who had not first gotten circumcised and started to be good Jews, there's no way they could have gotten saved. Now, as I said, these kind of influencers have been influencing people throughout time. You're in Acts. Go to the right. Hold your place here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. <clears throat> Apostle Paul is worried because there were certain teachers that had, had snuck into the church at Corinth and were turning people away from the truth of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3. For I fear, and Paul wasn't afraid of much, but Paul says, I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve, back in the Garden of Eden, through his subtlety. Subtlety means his deception, his sneakiness. So your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he, that influencer, that cometh, if he preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, stop there for a second. There are churches out there that tell you you need the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. You better make sure it's the Holy Spirit because there are a lot of spirits out there. For if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received or another gospel which ye have not accepted, I am afraid that ye might well accept him. You might well bear with him. You might like what they say. Go to Galatians. Go to the right a few pages. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Galatians 1, 6. Do you know why most Christians... All right, let me just say this. Do you know why most people don't get saved? Because they believe a lie. And they don't believe the truth. They don't want the truth. And they just choose a lie. They just choose there is no God. They choose uh, oh, all, all religions lead to God. That's a lie. So they go to hell, not because the truth's not there, not because they haven't, haven't been given the truth, but because they just don't like it. But there are a lot of Christians who never grow in their Christian life because they prefer certain kinds of influencers, certain kinds of teachers that promote a different spirit than what the Bible promotes and a different gospel than what Jesus gave. So Galatians says this in chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel, Paul says, to the Christians in in Turkey, in Galatia at that time, I marvel that you so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ, unto another gospel. Somebody called you to a whole other way of getting saved. Verse 7, which is not another. There's, no, there's not multiplicities of gospels. There's only one. But there be some that trouble you and would, what's that next word? Perv what a powerful word that is. How many of you would, would, would read in the newspaper and you don't hear the word anymore. I used to read it. I used to hear it. They used to call pedophiles perverts, amen? They don't say that anymore because a lot of people in the schools are that way. But these people, these teachers were perverting the gospel of Christ. Go to 2 Peter now, all the way to the right, just after Revelation. 
I'm sorry, just after Revelation. Just after Hebrews. Don't go to Revelation. After Revelation is the maps, amen. <laughs> 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. 2 Peter 2 verse 1. <clears throat> 2 Peter 2, 1. But there were false prophets also among the people back in the Old Testament. Even as there shall be false teachers among you. Who privily shall, privily means privately, quietly, carefully bring in damnable heresies, heresies that will damn souls, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. That's pretty serious. Look at the next verse. And many shall follow. That's got to be something I wish I could convey to you. That's got to scare you because it, 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 it hurts me to think of all the people I've taught, all the people I've given Bibles to and spent time with and prayed with and Bible Institute and, and um, Bible studies and discipleship. And what does it say? Many of them will follow these stupid influencers pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Jude, one more passage. Go all the way to the right. The, the book just before Revelation, Jude verse 4. There's one chapter. <clears throat> Jude verse 4. Again, we're talking about people who influence other Christians. You know, it, it, it is supposed to be our job to influence the world, but we've let the world influence us. I once heard this, this statement um, that a, a ship doesn't sink because it's in the water. A ship sinks because the water's in the ship. Okay? So we're in the world, but the world shouldn't be in us. Does that make sense? All right, so Jude chapter 1, verse 4, for there are certain men, and you need to, you need to start to mark them and notify and, and identify them, for there are certain men crept in unawares. You don't even know that they're there, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. They're ungodly men, turning the grace of our God. You know what grace means? The goodness, the kindness of God into lasciviousness, which means free for all. Live as you please and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So there were some influencers out there twisting and perverting the gospel, but thank God Paul and Barnabas were good influencers as well. Go back to Acts chapter 15, verse 2. We're going verse by verse through Acts. So verse 2, when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them. I like that. They stood up and says, whoa, 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 that is not right. The Bible says, and they went at it. And they, the crowd, the church, the Christians, determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So there was a, there was a question here. There's the problem. The problem is real simple. There were two different gospels being presented to the people. That was the problem. One of them was good works. We know we're sinners. Nobody, nobody should ever listen to somebody that says, live as you please and you'll be right to heaven. That's, not, that's stupid. Our own heart condemns us. Our own conscience condemns us when we do wrong, when we are sinful, when we abuse and we hurt other people. Our own heart condemns Somebody saying, by sinning, you're going to get to heaven. We know that that's not true. But we kind of like it when somebody comes in and says, just be good. But that's not the gospel. There's another, there is one gospel, and that's the cross. That's the grace of Christ, that God would step down, become a man, live the perfect life that you and I could never live, and then let sinners kill him. That's what saves. Under good works, you're to work hard at doing what the law says do. Do what every religion says do. Maybe, maybe you'll be good enough to believe on Jesus and be saved. But the cross says stop doing everything you're doing to try to be good enough and just believe, just trust that Jesus was perfect enough to save your soul. So what was at stake, all right? Really simply, Everything. You see, these 
Judaizers is what they're called, and they're still around today. They teach a limited gospel. If you're not as good as me, you're not getting in. That's a limited gospel. The gospel that the Judaizers, these, these false influencers, taught was it was only for Jewish people who were good enough, who kept the law. Gentiles can't be saved because they're never good enough. That's a limited gospel. That would mean Texans can't get saved. That would mean Irish can't get saved. Nobody but good Jews could be saved. What was at stake? These Judaizers were lowering what Christ accomplished, making it not enough. Jesus died, yes, but I need to do some of the work. Jesus took care of 90% of my sins. I've got to take care of the other 10%. Have you ever felt that? I know plenty of people who believe that. I know Jesus died, but I have to go to church and I have to keep the, sacra the sacraments if I'm going to get into heaven. What you did was you knocked Jesus down. And you, you're saying that what Jesus did was not perfect. You got to help him out. And it means that the eternal security of the believer can never be known. What does that mean? 1 John 5, 11 says this. This is the record that God has given to us eternal life. He's given it to us. And this life is not in a church, not in our works, but in his son. He that hath the son has life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you. This Bible was written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. First John was written to counteract these false teachers because they were dumbing down the gospel to the place where nobody can know, am I saved or not? So back there in Acts chapter 15, well, let me show you a little simple graphic. We'll, we'll finish the graphic at the end. Gentiles. Everybody's a Gentile, raise your hand. Uh, that's all of us, <laughs> unless you're a natural Jew. Us Gentiles, you know, there's something in this that says, I need God. As they say in some of the programs, I need a higher power. We, 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 we try to find him. We go looking for him, go from church to church. We pray our prayers. We do everything. But there's a wall there. That wall is called sin. And sin separates us from a holy God. How are we going to get to him? Well, what happens is this. Us Gentiles seeking after God, we find out about Jesus. Hallelujah. Wonderful. He can take us straight to God. And then somebody steps up between us and says, oh, you got to be circumcised first. Wow. No wonder there's a lot of money in religion because they're coming between what has been given as a free gift and they're making people pay for what Christ purchased. Do you understand how wicked a false religion is? They say once you're circumcised, then you can trust Jesus and he'll get you to God. Oh, let's do it again. Ah, oh, you want to get to God? Go through Jesus, but you must be baptized. What? Let's do it again. You got to keep the law. I could go on all day. What kind of requirements does it take? People make up stuff all the time. So there in verse two, it's, it's, they have to settle this. Um, are Gentiles really getting saved or not? And a convention is called. It's not a council, by the way. This is not the Council of Jerusalem, like the Council of Trent and the Council of Vat the Vatican Council. This is a meeting, a church meeting. And they're going to set up like a courtroom where they're not going to base their decisions on emotion or nationalism or popularity. They're going to just speak and consider and make a decision. This was a church action. Christianity is supposed to be self-governing, folks. We should be able to deal very clearly with what the Bible says. Amen. I don't need some guard coming in here telling us what the Bible says. I should be able to read it for myself. We should be able to come to a conclusion because the book says it. And everyone heads down to Jerusalem to go and bring this before the apostles. And um, uh, I didn't read. Let, let's read verses three down to six. I didn't read these verses. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia Samaria, and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, telling everybody, that the Gentiles were getting saved and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders. 
and they declared all the things that God had done with them. But now there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise those Gentiles and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. So now in verse 7, here comes Peter. Peter speaks up first. Uh, I Watch what Peter says. I, I actually just sat and I pondered and I praised God for what I'm about to read to you. This is absolute. This is like strawberries on a cake. You don't want the cake because strawberries are so sweet. This is so good. Watch this. Verse 7. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, three words, God made choice. Now, those are amazing. Watch this. God made a decision. God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, he's humbled. He says, God used me that by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe in God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the same Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us back in the day of Pentecost. And God put no difference between us and them, watch these words, purifying their hearts by faith. This is absolutely amazing. God chose to use me. My heart aches that people don't want God to use them. You don't mind your boss using you all day long. You don't mind people using you, getting you to do drugs, getting you drunk, getting you to, to sign up to every Hulu and Netflix program out there. You don't mind being used by the world, but when God comes knocking, you have no desire that God would use me to give the gospel to somebody. God would use me and my mouth to say the most wonderful words ever, that God wants you. Peter says, God chose to use a common fisherman like me. And he used me to give the gospel to people who don't know God, people who are lost beyond hope. It wasn't Peter's desire, by the way. Peter's just minding his own business. And Jesus said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And you have no idea how far this is going to go. And God had to push him to go and witness to Cornelius. Remember that? He wasn't going from door to door meeting Cornelius. God had to say, I made a choice for you, bud. Get out the door. And he made the choice that the Gentiles only needed to what? Wow. <laughs> and to them, he made the choice to give them the priceless Holy Ghost. I, see, if you only knew, if you're saved... The Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. That is the greatest gift ever. It's not a, a fact. It's not a number. It's a person. And when a, when a sinner is forgiven and then given the third person of the Trinity in their heart, another voice besides their conscience that says, uh-uh, don't go that far up, stop, don't say that. <laughs> it's priceless. And Peter's saying, they, get, they got the same Holy Spirit we did. And God chose to make those, those Gentiles equal with us believing Jews. And it goes even the best. Look there in verse 9. And he put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts completely by baptism. Is that what it says? By circumcision by the law, by keeping the Sabbath. Do you see how wonderful Peter is simply, now he's a fisherman, he's simple, amen? He just says, look what God did. He purified their hearts by faith. Peter's convinced that the Gentiles got to skip the queue. <laughs> they got to skip all the laws and just receive the greatest gift ever. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, isn't it? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I'm going to say, come up here. You want the gift? Here's a line here that says, to get the gift, you must be baptized. You must be circumcised. You must keep the law, keep the Sabbath. And over here, just accept it. 
Just take it. Why are these churches full? And these are lethargic and bored. I can't explain it. I just know this. They need to know they're following the wrong gospel. They need to be reminded. God can purify your hearts by faith. Now, this brings up a good point because there's a problem with Moses' law that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, well, they weren't even in there, but the, the religious hadn't considered, all right? The law could only purify your flesh and your health until Jesus came. There were so many rules and laws to purify the flesh. They had to bathe. They had to wash their hands if they had, had been dealing with anything that might be dead. They were constant, constantly, constantly purifying their flesh. But there's no way to purify the heart. The way the, the hearts were purified was once a year, they would bring a sacrifice. And on the Day of Atonement, all of the sins were rolled back for a year. But they had to be back the next year and keep it going year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice, blood after blood, in order for their conscience to be salved, in order for them to be able to say, okay, I'm okay with God again. Then there was a day. And every one of these people knew it. And they all, these these Pharisees and high muckety-mucks and very important rulers uh, knew that John the Baptist came into town and he said these words, Behold, the final Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the... I forgot that part. <laughs> Not just of the Jews. So, oh, they've been forgiven. These, these Judaizers had been saved but they were still trusting an Old Testament system that could not purify their heart. Let me show you. There are three, times, three kinds of Old Testament laws. Ready? First one's called ceremonial laws. Those are laws that, that, and rules on how you worship God. You worship God in the Old Testament with a sacrifice. You worship God in the Old Testament with the help of a priest, a mediator. You worship God in the Old Testament by, by going to the temple. You worship God in the Old Testament through, through uh, personal you had, to, you had to bathe and you had to wash and you had to constantly do, 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 do. That's a ceremonial law. And there were hundreds of them. Read the book of Leviticus. <laughs> They're all ceremonial laws. It's the second type of law. And those are called the moral laws. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Those are still good. Amen. Moral laws. And then there are civil laws. Those are rules on how a government should operate. By the way, I think our government could use those laws. All of them counted up to be 613 different laws, and they were all fulfilled by the life of Christ. He kept every one of them. And gratefully, one group out of those all were done away with. You ready? The ceremonial ones. You no longer have to have a priest help you pray. Amen? I don't care if he dresses like mother and wants to be called father. You don't need a priest. You don't need a system. You don't need a church. It's great to be in church. But church is not a help to get to God. The ceremony, the way that you come to God is through Jesus Christ. End of story. Stop it right there. Let's head home. Don't. But anyway, that's my point. <laughs> And Peter says something very, very convicting. Let's not provoke God by perverting the gospel. Look in verse 10. Now, therefore, now therefore, why tempt ye God? When he says tempt, he means tempt him to bring judgment on us. Because it is very serious. Why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, these new, new Gentile disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? What a statement. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we Jews shall be saved even the same way as they Gentiles. After that, Barnabas and Paul stand up, look in verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Saul. They just got back from a 1,500-mile trip, three months traveling all over Galatia and, and Asia Minor, winning Gentiles. Uh, starting churches, um, 
declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles. Not among the Jews. The Jews always had a corner on the market for miracles, and here are the Gentiles getting them. And then verse 13, James, who's the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he makes a decision. Look in verse 13. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon, that's Peter's other name, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. I don't know if you understand the weight of that statement, but remember what God did with Abraham? He visited the then known, the then world, and he took out a people for himself, didn't he? They're called the Jews. And, 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 they, and James says, God's doing it again. And he's gone among the Gentiles to take a people unto himself. Verse 15, and to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. And he quotes Amos chapter 9. After this will I return, God says, and I will build again the tabernacle of David. The worship of David, which was different than what the Pharisees were doing, which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof. And God says, I will set it up. And that's what the church is. Verse 7, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord. The residue is the scum. <laughs> What's God going after now? Us. Not the, the best of the best, but the residue of the men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Just stop there for a second. So he's reviewed Peter's testimony. He's quoted Amos 9, 11, and 12, and he makes a decision. Verse 18. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. I wish you believed that. God knows what he's doing. <laughs> he always knows what he's doing. He, always, he can't do, you know, there's several things God cannot do. He can't sin, but he also can't do any better. Why? Because he always does it perfect. Look at this, verse um, 19. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. That's the word repentance. They turned from their idolatry. They turned from whatever they were doing before. Well, I was trusting my baptism. Turn unto God through Jesus Christ. Well, I'm trusting my Judaism. Turn unto God through Jesus Christ. You want to get to God? Go through Jesus. Every time it's that simple. Verse 20, but, but that we write unto them. Now, he makes a recommendation. Let me see if I, uh, okay, so let me, his conclusion is believing Gentiles are just as saved as all the believing Jews. It's a done deal. You're joint heirs in Jesus Christ with the Jews. And he makes a recommendation, start there in verse 19, wherefore my sentences, sounds like a courtroom, doesn't it? This is my sentence. That's where they, a lot of things that happen in our world come straight out of the Bible. My sentence is that we trouble not them which are from among the Gentiles, are turned to God, but that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols. Watch these four things. Secondly, from fornication. Third, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. He makes a recommendation, number one, that Gentiles should refrain. To, they should only do these four things. And I'll explain in just a second what he's getting at. He says they need to stay away from eating meats and foods offered to idols. Now, you probably don't have that problem. But there are people who still do it today. You know, these people who go and they go to watch the Oscars and the Emmys. Folks, they're worshiping idols. They call themselves idols, don't they? And when you're sitting at a meal getting ready to honor human stinking flesh for some filthy, wicked movie or some stupid, sinful song and they're getting ready to just bow down and give them all of the praise and honor and glory and you're eating a meal before that, you're eating food offered to an idol. It's going on still today. And then James says they need to stay away from fornication. Now, fornication is a one catch-all word. It means any sex outside of marriage. That's not popular today. Because every kid, nine years old and up, thinks sex is okay. Doesn't matter who, when, where, why, or how. And James says, you know, if you're a Gentile and you're saved, keep sex for marriage. Amen. 
from eating blood. I'm not dealing with transfusion. The Jehovah's Witnesses wanted to have a strange day. Eating blood is when you're, the Bible says uh, that the life of the flesh is in the blood and is for one purpose. If it ever is used, you get rid of it. It's only for one purpose, and that is to pay for your sin. If you're drinking it, if you're using it as part of your meal, you're taking what belongs to God <clears throat> and it's part of his atonement and you're treating it like dirt. It, it's, it, you're treating it for other purposes. And just don't do that. And we'll talk about it more in just a second. Why? And then lastly, from eating things killed by other animals. He calls them strangled. It, it means you don't come alongside the road. We used to call it mutton. How many know what, a, what mutton is? Mutton is an animal that's by the side of the road. Folks, you drive along, you see a dead deer. Don't stop. Don't pick it up, take it home, and cook it because you don't know how it died. You don't know what killed it. You don't know if the thing that killed it has rabies or disease. You don't know if it died of disease. So when it talks about things strangled, it means killed unknown. And so these are four, those are kind of strange rules. I thought circumcision, being circumcised was strange, okay? Why did James say this? Look back there in Acts 15. We read it there. Verse 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the Sabbath, uh, read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. It's for the Jews' sakes. You Gentiles are getting saved, and James says, Welcome to the family, praise God, but your life matters now. Nothing, none of those things are going to make you any holier. Not doing those or more sinful, not doing those, it's not going to make you any holier. Doing those is not going to make you more holy. You don't do them because the Jews are watching you. The unsaved Jews need to know that you actually are taking a holy living seriously. Because if some Gentile is claiming to be worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are things that they're going to look for in what you do and how you live and whether you've got three wives and you've got, uh, you're fornicating and you're just eating whatever comes down the pike. And, and we're talking about only in front of the Jews too, by the way, eating. But these four things, he says, would you not do those so the Jews will hear you give them the gospel? That's all he's concerned about. In every city where the Gentiles were getting saved, there were God-fearing, law-practicing Jews who needed to hear the gospel but would never listen to a Gentile if that Gentile was smoking. Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> it don't work. A godly, clean, living, restrained life attracts people to Christ better than the words that they may speak. Amen? Here's a question. See, all James did was ask them to care about a people group that God cared about. And he says, are you willing to give up something so they get saved? And that brings me to my point. What are you willing to sacrifice, give up, stop doing so someone in your family gets saved? You see, you're at liberty in Christ. There is actually nothing you can do to lose your salvation. Amen? Why? Because Jesus saves and Jesus keeps. My life is in his hands. But just because I can't go to hell now doesn't mean I should live like I'm going to hell now. Amen? Because my brother, my sister, my mom, my dad, maybe are unsaved, are watching me. And if I live and talk and act just like them, and then I say, why don't you come to church? They will laugh at me. They'll wonder, didn't do you any good. <laughs> but if you have something that says, Lord, I feel like you're asking me to put this away because they're watching me. And I don't care. Paul says this, if me eating a certain kind of meat makes my brother, and he's talking about a Jewish brother, not a saved brother, but if it makes my brother to be offended, to talk away from God. I will eat no meat. That's what he says. I'll be a vegetarian. I don't care what I have to do because I want my, my countrymen saved. What are you willing to do so that someone would get saved? Most of you, it'd be nothing. Sometimes very grieving how little I sacrifice for other people. Do you notice what's missing? 
There was no mention of keeping the Sabbath, no mention of the circumcision, no mention of sacraments or baptism. There's no mention of, of any of these four things enabling a person to be saved or to stay saved. It was just an exhortation to live godly so that others could, say, get, could get saved. He's, he's nailing the coffin shut on Judaism saying Jesus alone saves and keeps us saved. Just live godly so others can be saved. Now, let's finish our, uh, our diagram. Gentiles want to get to God. They're trying to find him. How do they find him? Never will find him because sin blinds. Sin hardens the heart. Sin, I don't care where you go, what you do, you'll never find God until you hear of the cross. That's why... We don't preach miracles. That's why we don't preach happiness. That's why we don't preach financial security. We preach Christ and him crucified. Because Jesus said, come unto, come, come, you can only come unto the Father, but by me. You get to him through me. Now, that sounds so easy for us, but it was really tough for them. <laughs> Take a book. Uh, we'll come back to this in a second. Hold your place. Go to Galatians chapter 2. It's hard, even for the best. Peter sounds so confident here. But before this, he met Peter. He met uh, Peter met Paul. And the two of them went eye to eye, head to head, toe to toe. Wow. Peter got his, his theology straightened out. Look in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. See, Peter had a hard time with this at first himself. Galatians 2 verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, Paul's writing, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles. Oh, he loved having fellowship with the Gentile believers. But when these Jews were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. He feared upsetting them. And the other Jews dissembled likewise. They split up. Likewise, they wouldn't go with the Gentiles with him. Insomuch that Barnabas, Paul's best friend, was also carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, now livest after the manner of Gentiles, you're living like a Gentile now. <laughs> and he was, and not as do the Jews anymore. Why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Wow. Why are you trying to make them feel guilty because they're not as good as you or they don't keep the law like you do? Verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Wow. Knowing that a man is not ever justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. That's the best part. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be made, might be justified, pardoned, forgiven by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, circumcision, keeping the Sabbath, baptism, everything, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So anybody, go, go back to chapter, still in Galatians, go back one page, look in chapter 1. Look there in verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you under the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Listen to Paul. But though we, if I came along, Paul says, I came and I says, you know what? I've changed my mind about the gospel. Watch it. But though we, or an angel called Moroni, that's the Mormon, Though an angel from heaven, if we preach any other gospel unto you than that which he have, we have preached unto you already, let him be. You know what that other, you know what that word accursed means? Damned. Anybody who preaches another gospel than what I just showed you through Jesus alone, if they add anything to it, if they take anything away from it, they are damned. Verse 9, he repeats, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. 
Back to Acts 15. We'll finish this up. Verse 22. This plea then pleased it, the apostles and elders and the whole church to send chosen men uh, of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas. Hey, circle that word. We're going to meet Silas soon. He's, a, he's an instrumental person in the next chapter. Chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. And here's the letter. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard and that certain went out from us have troubled you with words. We scared you, subverting your souls. We were convincing you you were lost still, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. They went out from us, but they were not sent from us. Verse 25, it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. We've got witness after witness saying, this is settled. Verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than, those, than these necessary things. What are they? That you abstain from any form of idolatry, especially meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. Abstain from it. Wait for marriage to get to have sex. Eat proper foods. Eat healthy. You want to win the Jews? Change the life, not to get more holy, but to win them. From which if you keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Didn't say you'd be saved. You just do right. Fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. And what do you think the attitude of everybody was? Oh, man, more rules. No, verse 81. Or verse 31. Which when they read, they rejoiced for the consolation. You know what they rejoiced at? We're still saved. <laughs> we don't have to worry about our salvation. You know, you, need, you know what you need to worry about now that you're saved? The lost. You need to worry about your kids. You need to worry about your family members. Worry about, don't, you don't have to worry one millisecond about your soul. Christ took care of it. Now, when you got saved, done. Please worry about others. Verse 22. Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted and encouraged the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried their space, they were let go in peace from the brethren back into the apostles back in Jerusalem. Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Hmm. Paul also and Barnabas continued Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So it's settled. Everyone who believes in Jesus, in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, is made righteous. Why? Because our problem is a sin problem. It's not a physical problem. It's not a money problem. It's a heart problem. The only way for my heart to be fixed is by trusting all the good works that Jesus did. And then as a perfect man, he died for my heart. So that he could one day be allowed in and could fix it. So what Jesus accomplished on the cross makes me righteous, not me keeping the law. It is settled that salvation is based only on what Jesus did. You add anything to it, you take anything in from it, you have damned yourself. We ought to live so others can see a forgiven and cleaned up life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if at the job, they actually, they knew you've gotten weird. They now know why. Here's a question for you. If you're holding on to your own goodness and your own good works, aren't you telling God that you don't need Jesus and that you'll just get there on your own? You won't. You're doomed to a crisis eternity, and I don't think that's what you want. Stand with me. Let's bow in prayer. That bit of confusion back 2,000 years ago in the first century almost destroyed the gospel. Almost split those Christians. Almost damned that world 2,000 years ago. 
it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't right it needed to be dealt with what's amazing to me and what's so saddening to me lord is that there's still such a push for so many flavors quote of the gospel so many different explanations and concepts and ideas and it's all perversion if it's not Jesus only. And if somebody's heart needs to be cleansed, purified, it must be by faith alone, through Christ alone. It'd be wonderful if somebody would believe that today. Young or old, every one of us, God, we're all sinners. We're all in trouble with you. And I don't doubt that if they're in church this morning, these people want to know you, want to follow you. They want to walk with you. They want to do right. But there may be some in this room who have got a wall still of sin between them and you. And they've tried climbing it. They've tried digging through it. It's not working. They need a Savior. And Jesus, the only one who's qualified. Please, right now, help somebody cry out to you. Humble themselves, repent, and believe that they're lost and they need us to be saved. And for us Christians, God, there's plenty more outside who need to know that Jesus saves. What, are, what kind of music do people listen to in our cars or in our home, Lord? Do they hear just the world's music? They're not going to be convinced we've been changed. What kind of words come out of our mouth? Do they hear good things or do they hear just more filth like everybody else? Lord, will we not from this day forward as Christians decide, Lord, whatever I got to lose so that somebody else gets saved, I'll let it go. Because one soul is worth it all. I pray we make a decision today for others. In Jesus' name, amen.